Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Elizabeth Ellie Frank founded Mr. Bones and Company in 2013, which is an all-volunteer-based animal welfare nonprofit that supports dog rescue and advocacy in New York City and has both a national as well as international reach. She created One Lucky Pup, which is a rescue, rehab, and adoption program, and she also created the fashion fundraiser Rescue the Runway that features dogs on the runway to help those dogs and others gain exposure and a hopeful forever home. I was invited to walk the runway with this beautiful young pit bull puppy. And the wonderful thing was that the puppy, after we walked the runway, she was adopted right there on the site. And so that was the night that I met Ellie. She gave me this great t-shirt that said, Rescue is the New Black. And I was sold ever since. Ellie's rescue dog, Mr. Bones, a pit bull who recently passed, is the inspiration for her work and her commitment to saving dogs that face extraordinary challenges or who might need extensive medical attention. Her work focuses on addressing unfair breed discrimination and working to save the lives of those many dogs who languish in shelters with behavioral issues that make them harder to place. Ellie's story about her love of Mr. Bones and her other dog, Charlotte, is a heart-rending and tender story about our special relationships with our dogs and what we are willing to do and may have to do on behalf of our canine soulmates. This next episode is really touching and tells the story about how loving your dog means learning to accept when to say goodbye. Elizabeth Ellie Frank, thank you so much for being here today. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I am from Florida, kind of all over. I'm a Catholic church brat. Uh-huh. Um, so we moved a lot. And most recently, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, via Salisbury, North Carolina for college. So. Okay. And then how did you find your way to New York City? I thought I was going to be a famous actress, and I was going to come up and be on Broadway. I got up here and realized that was not for me. And right. I ended up becoming an entrepreneur and starting an experiential staffing agency and forgot all about theater. And what's an experiential staffing agency? So we provide brand ambassadors, models and talent, staffing for special events, marketing activations. We do a lot with emerging technology brands, fashion, um, a lot of the entertainment, movie premieres, launches, everything that's kind of makes New York tick. Yes. Oh, cool. And how long have you been in New York for? I moved to New York in, uh, oh, on January 15th of 2000. So okay. Wow. Almost my 20 year anniversary is coming up. Yes. Did you have dogs growing up? I did not have dogs growing up and I was petrified of them. Really? Absolutely. I also was grossed out. I thought they were like just messy and filthy. Yeah. And when I would have a friend that had a dog, I would pretend to pet their dog and then not touch anything with my hand until I washed them. Oh, hand. funny. <laughs> I love that. And now I share soft serve ice cream with dogs. Exactly. So. <laughs> Isn't it funny how far we come? Absolutely. Who was your first dog? The very first dog in my life is still here. Her name yeah. is Charlotte. The way the metamorphosis happened was quickly, and I joke around, but it's sort of true. I woke up one morning, crawled out of a bottle of vodka, and said, something has to change. I can't keep letting my day job run into my nights and doing special events and constantly being out with clients and coming home to an empty apartment. And I was just feeling so vapid, like I wasn't doing anything to give back, and I didn't know... I didn't know how to reconnect with who I was before I came to New York City. And I rolled out of bed and just was at brunch and thought, I'm going to adopt a dog. So I googled 
animal shelters and found Animal Haven. And I went in and thought that they would never let me adopt because I never had a dog. So I pretended that I'd had dogs growing up and said what I thought I had to say. Right. And they know this now. It was a little white lie, but something in me compelled me that I had to say this because for whatever reason, I suddenly just felt like I needed this in my life. I needed to experience this. I don't know why, because I was afraid. And so when you went to Animal Haven, which is a wonderful shelter in Soho, downtown New York City, who did you meet? Well, I went in and I said, I you know, would love to adopt a puppy. And they said, well, we have a litter that most of them are already adopted. They're the Charlotte's Web litter. I got chills right away because Charlotte's Web is my all-time favorite storybook yeah. growing up. I still have my original copy from when I was a little girl. Wow. I've always been an animal person. I'm also petrified of spiders. I have severe arachnophobia, uh -huh. but it's just this conundrum that is my life. Right. So they brought out Templeton, and he was a basket case. He was all over the place, and I just I handed them back, nervous that they could instantly see I'd never handled a dog before, and I just said, I think I need someone a little bit more chill. And uh, they said, well, we have the runt of the litter. She's the only female. Her name is Charlotte. And I thought, well, I'm the runt of my litter. I'm the only female in my litter. Mm -hmm. Let me see Charlotte. Let me see this dog named after a spider. Right. And they brought her out to me, and she just folded herself up into my arms. Uh. And uh, it was a spiritual moment, and I just said, you, you are what I've been looking for. So I put in the application, and I didn't hear back for a day. And then I got a phone call, and they said, you can take her home. We'd love to adopt this dog to you. And I was like, oh, great. Like, I'll come later in the week. And they're like, no, it doesn't work that way. And so that was my first lesson in, you know, this is a commitment. So you honor this commitment because this is a living, breathing thing. That was April 13th of 2010. And I picked her up, and we haven't stopped walking since. That's wonderful. Charlotte is what type of breed? So I was told Charlotte was a beagle mix. Uh -huh. um, turns out she is a pit bull hound. So uh -huh. I call her my pound dog. She's a pit hound. She's a funny little dog. She was only supposed to be 30 pounds max. She's pushing 50. But she's all pit and harrier hound, and she's so funny. She's a very spirited, little, opinionated, completely willful, brilliant animal who knows exactly what I want her to do, but doesn't care. I love it. Yeah. I have one of those at home, too. My mother says she's me, and this is payback. There you go. <laughs> brilliant. I love that. And so you had Charlotte for a couple of years, and then... So I had Charlotte for about two years. Yeah. And I met a man in the dog run. Yes. We moved in together, and we got engaged. Uh -huh. And his dog and my dog were best friends. Right. And as life often happens, things don't go the way you think they're going to go. And we walked away from that trajectory. I got unengaged. A few days after we became officially unengaged, shortly before the wedding... I had one too many margaritas yeah. with my girlfriends who were there to cheer me up. I came home 2 a.m. and I got on Facebook and got into this kind of rabbit hole of urgent postings from the city shelter. And I wasn't even familiar with a municipal shelter. I didn't know there was a pet overpopulation crisis. I just thought adoption was a good thing to do. Yeah. I also had never heard anything positive about pit bulls and didn't know if I should fear them, if I shouldn't fear them, didn't know what. All I know is I'd had some margaritas and I see this beautiful smile staring back at me from my iPad and he was gonna be euthanized the next day. And it was so simple as just putting a $50 hold on him. So I got out my credit card, right. I put that down and I fell asleep. Right. And I woke up the next morning with a little headache. Yeah. Because um, it had been a while since I'd crawled back into that bottle of vodka because yes. I had Charlotte. 
racing out the door for work and I was late and I'm coming out of my apartment on Washington Square and I get a phone call and I pick it up and I don't know the number but it's a New York City area code and they said, hi, what time will you pick up Danny? And I said, I'm sorry, I think you have the wrong number. I don't have children. No one, picking up no one from school. And they said, no, this is the animal care control you placed a hold on Danny last night. And it literally all came crashing back to me. And I was still excited. I said, okay, great. Um, you know, I'm running to work, but I'll try to be there after work around six o'clock. And she said, we start euthanizing at two, so I suggest you get here by then. Wow. Just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. This is some serious shit. Yes. This shit goes down. Yeah. So I was there by two o'clock and I was in the Brooklyn Animal Care and Control and there were people dropping off, dogs coming in. It was kind of like a organized chaos. Yes. And I kind of got lost in the shuffle and I'd been there about 45 minutes and I finally said to someone who was, you know, they're doing the best they can with the resources they have. Sure. And so they're, you know, not always in a great mood, but neither are we. And I told her who I was here for and her tone changed. And she said, I'm gonna go get him. And she just seemed so relieved. And they bring out this skinny, skinny. And I didn't realize how emaciated he was. I just thought he was 30 pounds mm-hmm. because he was 30 pounds right. since he was young. He wasn't young, he was probably about six years old. I remember she gave him chicken nuggets. And he was so sweet the way he looked at her and his whole body shook. And she looked me in the eye and she said, thank you. And it was such a different experience. And so from that day, just fast forwarding through my experience with this, I wanna just highlight that I have never been on the bandwagon with knocking a municipal shelter that has to kill because they're not there because people wanna do it. They're there because of the greed of humanity of people who are backyard breeding and failing to spay and neuter. That's why they're there. Yes. Again, another spiritual moment that I had and I I have photos of him sitting in the back seat of my Honda CRV with a little red, white, and blue um, temporary dog lead, because it was July 2nd, 2012. Mm. Emaciated, just a heap of bones. And I just remember thinking, all right, here goes nothing. I'm just gonna foster this dog. It'll be my first foster. Right. I'm gonna fix him up. Because it was the intent was never to keep this hot mess. Yes. <laughs> it was to give back in yeah. the name of dog. Yeah, beautiful. July 4th, two days later, after more than $2,500, at the emergency vets, he was dying of canine influenza. I didn't realize how sick he was. Because he was so sick, he was quarantined from my dog from Charlotte for 30 days. Well, that got them to know each other through a baby gate. I think back of what I didn't know then. I accidentally did everything right. Couldn't bring him to the dog run because he was sick, so we would just walk. And so I slowly acclimated him to his new surrounding without knowing what I was doing. He got healthy, he got better. He loved Charlotte like he grew up with her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize at the time how important that was. I didn't know the extent of the post-traumatic stress that he had. All I knew was that I was gonna fix this dog because for whatever reason I projected what I couldn't fix in my own life. And that's, sure. and that's what we do and that's what they do for us. Absolutely. They give us something. Absolutely. And so how did you come to name him? Oh, so the name. He was so skinny. He was a literal heap of bones. And I was just like, I'll call you bones. And um, a little girl that I used to babysit for before I started my agency, my day job, she was kind of an integral part of, she was with me the day I adopted Charlotte. And she was kind of like the little sister that I never had. Mm -hmm. She was maybe 11, 10 or 11. She says she doesn't remember this, but I distinctly remember her saying, oh, Ellie, a dog that skinny, he deserves respect. He's Mr. Bones. Oh. How does a kid see this? But 
kids' Through the name, eyes of it. they come up with the greatest names for dogs. Absolutely. It just comes right from their heart. Yeah, that's just it. Like, this child saw something through eyes that I hadn't looked at yes. in years. Wow. And so he became Mr. Bones. Mr. Bones. What a beautiful name. I actually have a t-shirt with Mr. Bones on it. And on the t-shirt it says, Rescue is the New Black. Yes. Tell me about Rescue the Runway. How did that come into being? Rescue the Runway started before Mr. Bones & Co. It was after I got Mr. Bones, I had one of those, you're an entrepreneur, so I'm sure you had that moment that you can remember on when you were starting your venture. It was maybe a sleepless night where it literally this idea hits you like a, like, like a freight train yes. and you're not gonna be swayed. Kind of like me getting a dog. This whole world of pit bulls, of abuse, of neglect, of all these dogs that are dying, that are being killed in our shelters, through necessity, not through anything else, but we have no place to put these animals. I have to do something. Like This has already changed my life. I never thought I'd have two dogs, much less one, much less a pit bull. Right. He's so amazing. I want to tell the world. I want the world to know. How can I marry my day job, which are special events and marketing, into my new passion for animal welfare? And it hit me. I will do Rescue the Runway. It's New York City. Who doesn't like fashion? And Who doesn't like that, a fashion show? Right, who doesn't like a fashion show? Yeah. But also, even more importantly, who doesn't like dogs? Yes. Forget about the models. Let's put dogs on there. Dogs in need of a home, and people can rescue this runway. I am literally doing Rescue the Runway because of Mr. Bones and Charlotte. Yes. And it's Mr. Bones and company. And Charlotte became a different dog with him. I became a different woman with him. Yeah. It's his show. We're just the company that follows him. <laughs> Backtrack again prior to this, I'd been to Iraq twice with Operation Baghdad Pups with the SPCAI, which had kind of like laid the seed to eventually starting an animal welfare nonprofit. We'd fly dogs in cargo and we'd take some on our person, the little ones. People go back one at a time so we can get the most dogs out. That kind of all came together as I was doing Rescue the Runway. I kept going back to this idea I had in Iraq to actually just start rescuing. and. Then I was like, Mr. Bones and Co. So I kind of took the aspect of saving these dogs for these people in the military with special events, with this random dying dog I picked up at a city shelter, and they all came together, and boom, it was Mr. Bones and Co. debuting at Rescue the Runway. Wow, beautiful. It's kind of crazy when it's... I think about how it all just kind of came together. But that's how it happens. And sometimes we do things without almost not without thinking, but you just kind of start somewhere and see what happens. And New York is a wonderful venue for that. It is. So Mr. Bones and Company got launched. We got launched, yep. From there, you developed One Lucky Pup. So Mr. Bones and Co. originally was just an animal welfare nonprofit where we didn't actually rescue, but we supported other groups. You raised because money. Because in my mind, yeah, in my mind, I was like, oh, I can't do this. I don't even know anything. I didn't even, I was petrified of dogs until I got Charlotte, like, right. what do I know about dogs? These people are the experts. So the first Rescue the Runway, we brought in three rescue organizations. We donated 100% of the raise. My day job paid for all the production costs, so every penny that came in went to these three rescues. I started coming up with ideas for what programs, what other programs other than Rescue the Runway could Mr. Bones & Co. do? Well, we have a Pay It Forward program where we provide support for low-income dog owners who are facing emergency surgery or they need basic vetting or homeless people with animals that need vetting, stuff like that, but I wanted to do more. And then I was talking with Marissa, who's a woman that I met, Marissa Grimshaw, when I kind of put out a call to action who wants to help me do this crazy event called Rescue the Runway. She was the loudest of everybody right. that raised her hand. 
and she would eventually come in as my co-executive yeah. director and partner in Bones & Co. I said, let's start rescue, like what? Why not? We'll just do it like four times a year, one dog at a time. We'll call it one lucky pup. Fast forward six years later, she calls it 1,000 lucky pups. Uh -huh. <laughs> so the premise of one lucky pup is we do low quantity, high quality rescue. I have an ethical problem. I understand why they do it, but I think some groups get so big, they have a hoard and board mentality, especially groups that don't have a shelter. So I'm sorry, you said hoard and board? Hoard and board yes. is what I call it, where you know your heart is in the right place, but if you have 40 dogs in boarding, yes. and you're all foster based, and you keep pulling more, those 40 dogs are going to sit there. Exactly. Um, we have one dog that's been with us for two years. He's still in a foster home, but even that bothers me to the point where I'm contemplating officially not pulling until Calvin gets home. So One Lucky Pup was dedicated to, because we were gonna only gonna take a few dogs at a time, which was supposed to be one at a time, now we probably stick with, we have approximately 15 dogs at a time. Okay. Uh, but we focus on dogs facing extraordinary needs. So these are dogs with severe medical issues, some with behavioral issues, some that have been just languishing at the shelter the longest. I think that's how we ended up meeting you is mm -hmm. through Yonkers. We yes. took Tanya, who yes. we now have a grant program named after and she's still doing great. So. What small rescue organizations like the One Lucky Pup program can do that large shelters can't do is do that focus an intense amount of funding, of training, of medical care, of attention on these one few cases because we're not a shelter that's inundated with animals. Right. So we have that, I don't want to call it a luxury, but you could call it a luxury no, it of being able to afford just that concentration of care and effort. I think the value of small rescue organizations should never be overlooked just because they're not, you know, pulling 800 dogs a year. We're finding the homes for the dogs that struggle the most to find the home. Right. And I found that it really is one dog at a time. My yeah. experience at Yonkers Shelter, it's the same thing. I mean, I go there to walk the dogs and it is hard for me because I see dogs that have been there months and or years. But then there's always, every week I go, there's always one happy story that's happening. And it really is, it's one dog at a time. So one lucky pup makes great sense to me. Yeah. And yeah, you can really focus because each dog is an individual. They need special care and attention, especially dogs that, again, are coming from shelters. So are you finding dogs from all over? How does one become a one lucky pup? So nowadays we get approached by different shelters. We get a lot of heartworm positive cases just because the, that's a very expensive thing to treat. It's a prolonged thing to treat. Shelter's not necessarily a great environment to treat that in. And it's a simple fix but they don't have the luxury of that. So we get reached out to a lot um, from the South with heartworm dogs, from the Bahamas. We also obviously take from New York, Long Island, Connecticut. You know, sometimes we get heat for taking dogs that are not quote unquote in our own backyard, mm -hmm. but I'm an animal welfare nonprofit. We are an animal welfare nonprofit. So that desire to care for the welfare of that animal doesn't end at a state line to me. Right. You've been in New York City and recently you've moved Two. I bought the farm. So when I first adopted Charlotte, I bought my first car in the city. Yes. Because you get a dog. Well, that dog uh, exactly. has to leave the city. I bought so. a car right when I got Tiny Tim. Same right. Thing. It, just, it just made sense. It's like when you get married, you get a house. When you adopt a dog, you buy a car. Yeah. So then I got Mr. Bones and I was like, I got to get a house. Uh -huh. <laughs> I um, had my wedding deposits back 
and I put them all together and took some out of savings and it was the right market and the great mortgage and I bought an old farm about a two hour drive north of Manhattan and uh, it was my weekend place for the last five years. Last January I decided, you know what? The city will always be here if I want to come back, but my dogs need a break. Bones was, uh, his anxiety was getting a little bit more intense and I thought he needed a break too. Um, he had some problems that have been developing over the last five years. And so I said, you know what guys, let's do this. Let's go move up to the farm. I'm working on restoring some barns anyway. I could save money on the rent, which is a little obnoxious at this point in yes, New York City. And so I commute in two or three days a week and, um, it's been working out really well. I don't, I love New York City. It built me, but I had to leave before it broke me. And I mm. think the city has an expiration date for some people. I agree with you. And again, I love the city and I love coming back here, but I love not living here too. Good for you. Good. So I want to ask you about Mr. Bones. Yeah. He, he's no longer with us. He passed uh, April 6th. Yeah. Of this year. Of this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A couple months into having him, I started noticing that um, he's not a resource guarder, but he was a protector of me. And he exhibited some behavior as though in his previous life, he was amateurly trained the way police dogs train. If he felt I was threatened or there was a perpetrator somewhere, right. he would grab them by the arm and the jacket and not let go of the jacket. People would have to remove the jacket. Wow. There was always a rhyme or reason and it was always male. He was an incredible sweet dog with children, great with women, and great with like, my cousin, my brother, friends that I would, male friends I would slowly introduce him to, but he was petrified that someone was gonna hurt me. So you could speculate the home he came from, you know, likely had a domestic violence issue. So whatever he went through was traumatizing. 41 year old me knows I couldn't fix him, but 35 year old me, 36 year old me, 37 year old me, 38 year old me, 39 and 40 year old me believed I could. When moving out of the city didn't help and the anxiety was building um, and he was so fiercely protective of me, I had to realize that no matter how many puppies we fostered and how amazing he was saving the dogs in our program, he was literally the best foster papa ever. No resource guarding, a puppy could eat out of his bowl and uh. he would literally just swat him away with the hand and Oof, beautiful. in their face. His teaching and cues and we had, um, he fostered 63 dogs mm. before he passed mm. with the last being a full grown male dog, which tells you how far he came. Yes. None of that mattered because inside he was so tormented. He was just petrified that something would hurt me. And I had to make the decision um, after a good friend came into the home and uh, surprised him and he wouldn't, he wouldn't let go of his work glove. And you know, when you, when you have to choke out your own dog to get them to release, yes. it's pretty fucking traumatizing. Yes. And why I let it go on for so long, why I believed I could fix it, it was always a controlled situation. It was typically in my home, I, but I moved for it. I would move to an apartment that I had an outdoor space in a backyard and my own private entrance, and I would pay four times the amount of rent I sure. could afford because I love this dog, and yeah. this dog saved my life. Yes. You can look at all of it in the back end and say, wow, you know, um, I've also, by the way, never been like, this is really cathartic for me, and I also kind of, I almost feel like this is so vulnerable and risky to share this so publicly, but. I don't care what anyone thinks. So I'm just gonna keep going and please, share this story with please. you because I think it's important because I'm a quote unquote professional and I couldn't see what was right in front of me. 
because you get blinded by love and this yes. is what they mean. But no one had ever said to me, why are you doing this to you? Like, this is not a way to live. It just, again, hit me like a freight train right there. I am literally doing the reverse of everything I stand for. It's not fair to him. When we left the city, I used to think he would wake up in the middle of the night barking and like lunging at the window because he heard people going by and he was being protective. I live on 30 acres in the middle of nowhere. There were no noises outside. He was still doing that upstate. He was having night terrors. And he was, again, to emphasize, so loyal and loving and amazing to the people in our circle. I couldn't risk the liability. I was not going to let him be a headline because it had nothing to do with his breed. Right. But I also um, realized what a disservice I was doing to him to live in his state of anxiety. Um, and I'd actually tried him on Prozac, but he started having seizures from it. Like I couldn't even put him on that. And so I picked a date. We were still fostering Chimby, his last foster, and I needed some time with him. So I thankfully found and had been working with an amazing home for Chimby. And I picked a date for two weeks after Chimby went home. And I kept saying, oh, I'll, I'll prolong, like oh, maybe just one more week, I'll push it up. But I never did. And our vet who'd been his orthopedic surgeon since I first adopted him for almost six years, I asked him to do it. And he would later tell me he was surprised that I never changed the date. But I told you, when I put something in my mind and I know it needs to be done, I have to do it. Um, and that was the hardest part was those last two weeks when he has only ever been nothing but love to me, looking him in the face. He fought so hard to live. And that is, I used to think this was the hardest thing that I'd ever done, but it's not. I think it was the bravest thing. And there are so many people that will say, oh, he's just a dog. But it's never just a dog. And if that's your attitude, it's just a dog, then you have literally never known a dog. Yeah. So I let go of, uh, I call him my son. He was like losing my boy. Sure. But I had to do what was best, not just for him, but for me. Yes. And for Charlotte, and God, that's, the, she doesn't know where he is. The first time we came back to Brooklyn and uh, we stay over sometimes as I work in the city. We stay in our old neighborhood because I love it, um, in Brooklyn Heights, and uh, she looks for him. Yeah. There was a time that I thought, well, I'm just going to stop Bones and go. He was it. It dies with him. Mm -hmm. It was his living legacy. Mm -hmm. And I went back and forth for a while, and then I took a sabbatical road trip and decided his ashes did not belong in a box, on a shelf. They belong free because he was confined his whole life. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to... I'm gonna keep doing this. I'm gonna go balls to the wall. So that idea is in my head, and you know what I do with ideas. Um, and so we've been working more and pulling more, um, and now I do it in his honor. Yeah. But it's hard. And so now I'm moving forward, and it's full steam ahead, and uh, kind of focusing on Charlotte and fostering this little guy that is a replica of Mr. Bones. And just before I got here, uh, he had a meet and greet with his new adopter. So I'm not gonna keep him. My place right now is not to try to replace him. My place is to grow more as a person, to focus on me because I spent so long focusing on him, to focus on my current train wreck, Charlotte, who is just her grumpy old little lady person that she's gonna be, and to um, keep working with amazing people like you. And I'm sorry for your loss and for what you had to go through. I mean, that is, it's very brave. I've had some friends that have had 
dogs that they adopted that they loved that were broken, that were beyond their help. And as much as they tried to, they had to make that same kind of decision. And it's horrific, but you did the right thing and you did the best thing for him ultimately and for yourself. Ellie, there's a quote on your website that really struck me and it's so beautiful. And the quote is, my dogs ignited a call to action within me so profound that I was compelled to do something. That's what started everything. And can you speak to that quote? Forgetting my fear of dogs, going into that dog run that first time kind of started it with Charlotte and bringing this emaciated pit bull home from a tough Brooklyn shelter kind of added to it. And then making the decision to raise them together to save his life, to fix what humankind screwed up, literally altered the course of my life. I think we only get better each time we have a profound awakening. I think that as a human being, maybe it happens early for some people, maybe it happens later, maybe it happens in their midlife, maybe it happens multiple times. I think that we have to stay motivated to have this zest for life, to give back, to not get stagnant, to not just become a drone. I think you have to have a profound awakening to find out what you're supposed to be doing. And in many cases, I think we have multiple profound awakenings. Like, I don't believe that there's just this one defining moment in your life. I've had many defining moments. It's how I ended up in New York City on my own. It's how I ended up in Iraq. It's how I ended up upstate living on a 30-acre farm. I love it. And again, we have these opportunities and we got to keep our eyes open and our hearts open and our animals reflect that back to us 24 seven. Absolutely. So there's another quote on your website and basically it's saying that, you know, as you were so compelled to do something with Mr. Bones and company, with rescue the runway, with one lucky pup, the quote is, what will your something be? And I love that in terms of dogs, in terms of life, I would imagine that really resonates with a lot of people. If you meet somebody on the street, if you're in a conversation and somebody says, I want to get involved, how can I help? What do you recommend? Because I know there's so many different ways in our world, especially in the animal advocacy world. That does happen a lot. And my, my first thought to them is think about what you've currently undertaken in your life and like what your schedule is and how your day-to-day -day is. And you'll be able to find something to fit into it. Don't bite off too much. But it always starts, I always encourage everyone, start with going to your municipal shelter or your private shelter. I cut my teeth at Animal Haven. I say I cut my rescue teeth at Animal Haven. I joined uh, an advisory board and just kind of started um, trying to do what I could to help fundraise with them. Get involved with your local shelter and learn from there. No one, it's not a competition. No one will be like, I'm not telling you my industry secrets because right. then you'll start yours. We want you to start your own rescue. We want you to work your way into this industry where you're, or this field where you're running your town shelter. We want that. Animal welfare is such a unique thing in that nobody's keeping secrets from you. So start small, but it's needed the most. Get to your public shelter, walk those dogs, learn puppy handling, learn dog handling, learn to read signs. The majority of all dogs that are, you know, that bite kids or that are sent to shelters because they're unmanageable, it's not their fault, it's our fault. Learn how to be a better dog person. Even I, I can learn how to be a better oh, dog absolutely. person. Me I don't too. need to let every foster puppy I have sleep in my bed. They need a little bit more structure and they need a crate. <laughs> when I lost my dog, Tiny Tim, which was a really tough time for me, I started going to the city shelter, the ACC, at night. It's really kind of what set me 
on my road to developing the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund because I saw what people were doing and what was needed. And in my own small way, I figured, okay, this is what I know how to do. And I've kind of gone from there and it's opened up a whole world for me. The people that I've met in Animal Rescue have inspired me in ways beyond just saving dogs. So Ellie, tell me about how can we find you? At www.mrbonesandco.org. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram is, I think, the easiest way to follow the new cases that are coming in and we have constantly coming in. We're Mr. Bones and Co. at Instagram. Okay. And on Facebook, the and same. And on Facebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you found that to help your cause in spreading your message? Social media is integral to animal welfare. I think it accounted for this huge change in the last decade of adoptions versus you know people just even being aware that there's a problem. I mean, think about it. Six years ago, I wasn't even aware of this issue. Social media is vital. We wouldn't be where we are without it. I have seen a trend that's very interesting that I've noticed that we now get more adoptions and more viewings and more attention for our animals from Instagram. Um, It's also a different crowd. It's kind of a younger crowd. I don't think any rescue or shelter would be where we are without social media. That's why, that's how I found Yonkers and you with Mm -hmm. social media. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Ellie was somebody who I think experienced a unique shift in her whole relationship with dogs. She went from being afraid of dogs growing up and then getting one of her own in a rescue at that. She even took on the challenge of activism, which is something I often talk about with guests, and went above and beyond in so many poignant ways. From starting Rescue the Runway to founding Mr. Bones & Co. and One Lucky Pup, Ellie really walks the walk. I love that she focuses her One Lucky Pup program on quality, not quantity, making sure that every animal she takes on, even those with extraordinary needs, get homes. It's something I find super important in the world of rescue, the idea of one dog at a time. It can be overwhelming when faced with the large populations of dogs languishing in shelters, and yet it's an important perspective to maintain. And her relationship with Mr. Bones is one I will never forget. She was faced with a very hard decision, and it was the bravest thing she's ever had to do. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio, and it's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review or rating. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.